welcome to episode 114 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 1st of March 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Howdy. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. March? No, it's January, isn't it? Or February? It's, I don't understand where the time has gone. We've got a lot to get into, so let's get straight on with it. Let's start with the news that Linux has made it to Mars. Yay. Another planet we've conquered. Yeah, this is awesome. It's, I mean, it's specifically to do with uh, the the NASA's recent mission to Mars, and is it Perseverance? It's called Perseverance, yep. and the there's a part of that mission is a tiny little. It's it looks like a drone, but it's it's it looks a bit more complicated than that. It's called Ingenuity, and I think that's running some Linux. Yes, yeah, custom made ARM board at the heart of it that's running Linux, and there's a bunch of other open source software that they're using as well. They said in their press conference that they're using FFmpeg and various other stuff, and they name checked open source specifically. So it's a pretty cool win for open source, I think. I've looked at some NASA software before because they release a lot of it as open. I think they may have an obligation to do so when there's tax money involved. Um, but there's some really, really interesting, super complicated kind of command module um, simulators and stuff like that that it would be amazing if you're actually studying this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's still amazing that we can send robots to Mars and then this time fly, launch a drone from the robot and fly around. Am I the only one that's scared? The fact that we haven't actually tried to fly it yet. Could we not just go, oh, it's, it's BSD if it goes up in flames? <laughs> <laughs> if they can get the landing right, I mean, that was phenomenal. And they even released the video stream from that, if you saw it. So it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't able to be transmitted live because it's like between a five and 15 minute delay. But the fact is you could see it from the, the kind of deployment vehicle um, and it, and it hovered like on a jetpack and then lowered this thing the size of a car down onto the surface and also tracked from the orbiting satellite as well. Um, and it, I th- now this is from my memory, but I think it's a two megabit link from the robot on the surface to the accompanying satellite, which then transmits data back to Earth, which is better almost than my internet connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's better than a lot of rural connections, certainly. One of the cool things about this mission is the fact that it's got a microphone with it, which would be about the first time... I'm almost certain the first time that we've got a microphone on another planet. I think it was Mars Polar Express was the one that last had one. And that went catastrophically off into space or into the planet. We're not quite sure which because uh, someone mixed up metric and imperial. So uh, <laughs> they deserve that, I guess. Can we blame Brexit? <laughs> I think so. I think so. It's only fair. But more importantly, when's the first synthesizer going to be on Mars? <laughs> If somebody challenged me on Twitter, I, I kind of accepted if the uh, the sounds that we get from Mars, I'll do something with it. I think they've used like a size monitor monitor to to generate audio waveforms. Yeah, I think it was um, Opportunity or one of the rovers had a an, uh, an actuator in it, and on its birthday, it played itself "Happy Birthday." <sighs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, some good news for the world and also for Linux and open source for once. So well done, NASA and JPL and everyone involved. So some shocking news that a desktop Linux distro being sold on hardware outsold Macs in 2020. The asterisk being that it's not really a distro, it's Chrome OS. So Chromebooks are more widespread than Macs. That's quite something. I imagine that a lot of this or a lot of recent sales have come from people who are now working from home or people whose kids are studying from home. They need to get a laptop. They need a web browser and a webcam and a microphone and very little else. And a Chromebook is the absolutely the right price point, the right 
um, form factor and just like the the perfect fit. And I can't decide whether this is Google just planning a long, long, long way in advance to a time where people would use what is a glorified massive phone or just um, you know, success of circumstance. But yeah, either way, it's uh, it was a smart move on Google's part. It's interesting to see the graph that IDC put together and you can see the Windows market share just slowly starting to fall and Chrome OS going up and Mac OS being pretty much static. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Does this mean that Microsoft's going to have to come up with a similar strategy for Windows, kind of a browser on, a, on an NT kernel? Well, they've kind of tried to do that with uh, 10S, haven't they, which is like a lockdown version. It's not quite to the point where it's just a browser. Mm. But then Chrome OS isn't just a browser anymore. You've got Android apps, Linux apps. It's getting more and more capable every year, seemingly. Yeah, and it's something that I didn't get at the beginning. I must admit, there's lots of things that I don't get in the beginning, but <laughs> this is another good example. Um, I didn't understand years ago when they first started developing this, what kind of utility it would have. And I have to say, I mean, we've talked about it before, but my my mum's got a Chromebook and it, it perfectly fits her needs. It's reduced the number of troubles she has apart from printing. But in every other way, it's just a fail-safe device. And we've got one here and it's really useful for just picking up. The battery life is excellent. And yeah, as Will said, it's pretty incredible that they maybe guessed this day might be coming. Do we think it's a good thing though? Chrome OS is not Linux. It's not open as such uh, in the fact that you've got to use the the blink browser that belongs to google yeah their app store does it really in the long run help anybody it depends which way you look at it because it is linux it is running a linux kernel but it's not gnu slash linux as we know it i mean it's desktop linux it's just got enough proprietary shit in it to not really be of much interest to much of the linux community but this is an example of throwing a lot of money at desktop Linux. Unfortunately, not an open source proper desktop Linux. But this shows what could have been done if a huge company wanted to make desktop Linux a success, they could do it. And unfortunately, we've not had a big enough company try it. It's Linux at the moment, but if Fuchsia becomes a thing in the next few years, then all of those Chromebooks will presumably stop being Linux and start being Fuchsia. So I think that we might be calling this a win a little bit early. Well, I don't think it's fair to call it a win as such because it's not proper open source desktop Linux. And I, I would imagine that we all benefit a little bit from the kernel stuff that they have to do and they do upstream. Hmm. But ultimately, it's more a case of them commoditizing Linux and no one else benefiting. Except the users who get a really useful bit of kit that's cheap and does the job well and gets updated regularly and doesn't get riddled with viruses. Yeah, you're right. It's also a little bit like Linux's great success in the cloud, how little impact it's perhaps had on everyday desktop Linux users or Android. Well, we do still have a completely open browser as well in Firefox and version 86 came out recently. And we've given Mozilla quite a lot of shit, I think rightfully so, but I think you've got to acknowledge when they do something good as well. Now, this release has got two highlights, multiple picture-in-picture -picture mode, which I'll get back to, but total cookie protection. This is exactly what they should be doing, and it's them standing out against Chrome as the private browser, and I think we do have to take our hats off to them. This is excellent. More of this, please. Absolutely agree, and this is exactly what we were talking about years ago, it feels like, I don't know when it was, but 
keeping the cookies for a one website completely separate from the cookies from another. So they can't reach in, as their diagram shows, can't reach in and rootle around in your cookie jar and see what's what. Uh, this is just a, a great win for privacy across the whole internet. And I really hope that this will encourage people to perhaps move back to Firefox that have been using Chrome. Or if it doesn't do that, it at least might force Google to implement the same policy in Chrome, which would be better than we are now. Good for consumers, less good for the overall ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We we, do, we have been a bit uh, critical of Firefox. Um, and it's it's a bit like, you know, a very close friend who's an alcoholic. You know, you've got to tell him the truth. What are you trying to say to me? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I've been using Firefox now for the last few months in total privacy mode, which is a pretty restrictive way of using the web. But things like this mean that I could slowly kind of start to enable functionality again in Firefox to make it a more pleasant experience. Yeah, that is worth mentioning that this for now is only in that hardcore privacy mode yeah and it's only when you enable it you realize just how much you secretly rely on staying logged in having cross-site connections your your what's in your checkout surviving from one session to the next even frustrating things like the uh the videos that get suggested to you by youtube when they become frustratingly random you know that it's having an effect (laughs) (laughs) but then how am i going to get my sweet videos about people making guitars out of shelves and stuff (laughs) but speaking of video that's the other thing multiple picture in picture now i don't get it i just i don't get it like one picture in picture fair enough but this can fill your whole fucking screen with nine different videos this literally is back to the future too where he turns the telly on and says, can I have, you know, the channel 7, 65, whatever, and he's got just this big grid of, like, who wants to watch more than one video at once, for fuck's sake? I just watched the video of their video in a video, and I agree with you as well. I just, like, what? Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense, does it? It sounds to me like they wrote a function for doing the picture-in-picture picture thing, and they thought it can take a value up to nine, so let's make it nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see that iPhone meme where people were saying, what we really want is a headphone port, and Apple saying, ah, four cameras. Well, this is the same. What we really want, Firefox, is privacy, and they've got, ah, nine videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't know, maybe the kids want this sort of thing. Maybe we have reached that weird singularity where we just, like, can't recognize what's going on in reality anymore and kids want to watch nine fucking videos at once (laughs) okay this episode is sponsored by linode go to linode.com slash late night linux to get started with a hundred dollars free credit and 60 days to use it linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world whether it's scalable vms with the choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks dedicated cpu and high ram instances block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit, and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first-class always-available support. That's linode.com slash late-night-linux. Let's talk about the Framework laptop then. This is an upcoming project, product, I suppose, that is a user-serviceable and repairable and upgradable laptop that isn't 
clunky and shit like an old ThinkPad. Sorry, Popey. But <laughs> this looks like a sleek, modern-ish laptop. It's not bad. Yeah, it's, it looks modern enough. And obviously, there are going to be some compromises if you don't have soldered RAM and you can update stuff. And there's promises of like ports that you can slide in and change and stuff. It seems like a great idea in theory, but there's no word on pricing yet. And I think that's the elephant in the room here. There's a photo of the laptop there and beside it you can see some of the various bits and pieces that you can swap out one of those is an nvme drive and another one is a wi-fi card now they've been like swappable in even the cheapest dell or hp laptop since forever so i I don't think that in itself is is especially good increasingly not so well increasingly not so storage is increasingly soldered down these days fuck that shit fuck that shit indeed and that's why we need stuff like this framework laptop to to keep this dream alive. You you know, you think that that goes without saying that you can upgrade your storage, but believe me, the industry is going the way of soldered fucking everything. Yeah, which if you happen to have an M1, good luck with that, as that bug is trashing it as we speak. Yeah, exactly. What is it, like the swap thing or something? Yeah, I think so. Just pounding that SSD into death, and then it's soldered on, and fuck all you can do, apart from send it to Apple. Get a genius to fix it. (laughs) See, I I love this idea, this laptop, because I still have my original XPS and it was the second gen one and it works brilliant. I mean, I can see at some point, like I only use it when I'm actually going away. So the battery doesn't get taxed on it because I charge it to about half and then leave it in a bag and it sits there for months. I would love to be able to just keep this thing ticking over. Like right now, it's totally fine. But I can see a point where, you know, some component somewhere is going to change like wireless six or whatever is going to come out. And then I'm going to be looking at it going, well, am I going to let this on network and bring everything else down with it? Or, you know, maybe the keyboard goes eventually. It would be great to be able to try, change those things. And like, I don't need it to be thinner. I don't need it to be overly faster either. I mean, it, it does a job, does a simple task. I mean, that'd be a great thing to be able to do. I really like the idea um, and I hate to be negative about it, but I think the most important thing about laptops and computers in general is that they reach a critical mass of distribution that enough people have them to make upgrades important enough for people to support them for years and years and end. I mean, I usually have my laptop for uh, my current one. Is, I got it in 2013. So is this company going to be successful enough that, you know, in, in 2030, I'll be able to buy a replacement module for something that's failed? I really doubt it. And will the hardware still be relevant? I doubt that as well. I mean, we know how difficult it is to stick with a single kind of processor architecture on the desktop. Um, and as much as I love the idea, and I think I had the same reservations about the modular phones, I just doesn't seem practical. I think you're much better off. I, th- I hate the waste. I do think that storage st- storage should be swappable. But otherwise, I th- I'd rather things be recyclable um, and you buy as good as you can get at the time they last 10 years. Well, they are promising that you'll be able to swap out the motherboard and therefore get the latest processors and stuff. But that that seems a little bit of a dream to me. Being able to swap out the battery and the keyboard and the uh, the storage and wireless card and stuff, that's all pretty straightforward and having socketed ram rather than Mm. soldered ram that's all doable right now but being able to swap out the motherboards i'm a little bit skeptical of that i don't know i mean if you've taken a reasonably modern laptop apart which apparently i haven't but uh even so the the thinkpad x270 i've got which i appreciate is not modern (laughs) has got a tiny tiny motherboard in it 
I can see those things being, I guess everything's on the chip now, but I can see those things being quite easily swappable. In theory, in theory, but it depends whether they're going to be around that long. And that's what everyone's saying. Like, this is a startup. Are they going to last more than a couple of years? It depends. It depends how much people value this modularity and repairability in their laptops. And I just worry that people don't. And it will be too expensive, and you'll be able to buy two ThinkPads for the cost of one of these, <laughs> and that will be the end of it, unfortunately. Yeah, or two of any big company yeah. laptop. But, you know, I think that, like buying Linux first hardware, you have to be willing to vote with your wallet. And will enough people do this? I, I fear not, unfortunately, in this particular case. But we should, you know, like the iFixit rating, we should, you know, I don't want to make it say it's enforceable, but it'd be nice if there was a kind of a, they were enforced to kind of publish the kind of fixability rating for a device. Well, the French are forcing Apple to do that, aren't they? That does ring a bell. And well, weirdly, you know, I've got this, I've got an eight year old MacBook Pro and Mac's the worst for this kind of thing, but a speaker broke in it. And my daughter's been using it for a schoolwork. And I ordered the speaker from eBay, cheap Chinese one. It was 16 pounds for the pair. And we took it apart and swapped out the speakers in there. No problem. And that's simply because there are so many MacBook Pros out there. Yeah, like when I needed a replacement cooler fan, I got the whole like shebang for my wife's Vivo book. I mean, that's an Asus uh, Vivo book, which is relatively common. And so I was able to get one for 20, 30 quid or whatever. That was four or five years ago, I think. And that was easy because it is a common laptop, whereas this is not going to be common unless it suddenly takes off, which seems unlikely because they're going to suffer from the economies of scale here. So it's it's such an excellent idea, and and maybe it'll just like move that Overton window or whatever slightly back in the right direction, and maybe it'll make the big OEMs think, uh, well, maybe socketed RAM and uh, proper NVMe storage is a good idea still, and you know we'll make it a millimeter or two thicker, and people will want that upgradability. No, I think what we'll end up with is like, which isn't a bad thing, but like the equivalent of the RepRap 3D printer. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, which is incredibly utilitarian, but it's it's produced all kinds of 3D printers, commercial and homebrew. And, you know, maybe we just need that. All right, let's talk about Red Hat then. And they put up a post on their blog, extending no-cost Red Hat Enterprise Linux to open source organizations. Now, the bottom line is that they have been giving free licenses of RHEL to the likes of GNOME and stuff for ages. But that's always been a bit like mate rate type thing and you know it's never been formalized so now they're looking to formalize this process and you can email them and apply and all the rest of it so nothing really has changed here but it's just made it more structured and formal i suppose and this obviously comes off the back of them killing centos effectively or centos linux as they call it or centos classic as the register have decided to dub it because now you can use centos stream which is just not centos so it's a bit of a non-story really because this was happening anyway but this is just their pr attempt i suppose to try and smooth things over they could have perhaps done with talking about this a few months ago at the same time as the PR clusterfuck. But, you know, better late than never, I suppose. Not wanting to extract the negative out of every positive thing, (laughs) do we think it's a good idea? I mean, yes, obviously, FOSS projects getting access to software is great, but is this at the expense of them going to Debian, Ubuntu, 
arch whatever it is like an, a genuinely free to use distro are they trying to stem that tide do you think no because that is still an option for them no one has to use this but if you want to then you can yeah that sounds like the first one's for free though mm, if you fill in the form and then you have an interview and then they decide that you're okay and then they send it to you genuinely i'm not trying to be negative on it i, I just thought it was a bit of a Really? Could you not just leave that to the other projects? <laughs> well, no, that's fine. It's fine. I will retract my statement. <laughs> no, I mean, it's fair enough to be a little bit sceptical of it. And yeah, obviously, they want to get people using RHEL so that they can get more paid subscriptions. But even just talking about this publicly, them sort of donating to the community, and they're getting some free goodwill out of it. And we're talking about it, aren't we? And we're talking about Red Hat and Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and it's effectively free advertising for them. So I think it's fair enough, really, because no one's being forced to do it. And if you're using CentOS as an open source project, say you're a small open source project, and now that's going to be a ball ache, and how, what do you do? Getting a nice free upgrade to RHEL, which you can't imagine they're going to rescind on. They surely will just keep in perpetuity given people that otherwise it's going to be terrible fucking pr <laughs> like this was <laughs> yeah the whole centos stream thing was i will stop being negative okay this episode is sponsored by datadog the full stack observability platform for real-time linux monitoring create drag and drop dashboards to easily monitor enriched log data seamlessly trace requests across distributed systems and pivot between correlated data for rapid troubleshooting with Datadog, you can improve performance with proactive alerts, forecasting Linux OS resource usage, and more. Break down communication barriers and add context to those alerts by notifying your team members through the tools you already use, such as Slack, PageDuty, or others. Try Datadog and get full visibility into your environment today at datadog.com slash late night Linux. Sign up for a two-week trial, create a dashboard, and you'll receive a free Datadog t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone who's supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It really is appreciated. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. So an update on Fostalk Live. It's going to be on Saturday, the 12th of June we think at 7pm and we decided that it's going to be a smaller affair than it could have been. It's going to be just the usual suspects, basically just the sort of European podcast because we didn't want to have to deal with time zones and just more complication. Last year it was just abandoned and then at the last minute, oh, let's have a mumble thing. This time it's taking what would have been the standard event and making it online. We'll see what happens after that. But um, yeah, expect to see Linux lads with friends, probably us. I don't know whether it'll be just us or that we'll have friends and guests. I don't know. We'll see about that. And then uh, what I'm dubbing Ubuntu Voltage, which is basically Ubuntu Podcast and Stuart. And then at the end, there might even be a special one-off new show with me, Pipey and Dan. Is it new? It's always new. It's every time it's different questions. It's a new show. So anyway, more details coming up on that. But yes, mark your calendars, 12th of June, Saturday night in the UK, evening time, probably like 7 till 11 or 8 till midnight or something like that. I don't know. We'll have to decide exactly. But uh, yeah, it should be good fun. 
Also, a quick reminder of the community mumble get-together. The next one is going to be on Thursday, the 11th of March at 10pm. So normally it's Friday night, but this one we're going to try Thursday night. Uh, details at latenightlinux.com slash mumble. And uh, check out Late Night Linux Extra as well, where I've been posting recordings that we've been doing on these. It's only a snippet. We normally talk for like two, three hours and uh, just record like a little bit of it. So uh, check out that. I'll put a link in the show notes. All right, well, a quick XFCE sauna. <laughs> that didn't really work, did it? Uh, XFCE corner. Anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's Ubuntu 20.04 progress update. Have they got colors now? Oh, yes, very funny. Anyway, so yeah, Sean Davis posts about um, what's coming up with XFCE 4.16 and stuff. Uh, it's, it's worth a read if you uh, like XFCE like me. But then... A few days later, devastating news from Sean. Sean has been instrumental in pushing Subuntu and XFCE forward. But like now he's decided that, it's not that he's had enough, but in terms of his own computers, he's moving to elementary OS, <sighs> which you know is great and everything, but I don't see the appeal for an XFCE user. It's very strange. But he posts about how he's going to get involved with development of that and how he will continue to do what he's doing for Ubuntu and XFCE, but that because it's not his daily driver anymore, it means that, you know, he can't be as committed to it. And, you know, ultimately you have to assume that if this goes well with elementary, he's going to just move over there. So this is a blow. This is a real blow because XFCE and Ubuntu had stagnated for a while before he stepped up and really started pushing it. Lol. I mean, I'm talking serious stagnation, like not even GTK3 and stuff. Did it go backwards? That pixel's out of place. <laughs> oh, you lot are such piss-taking bastards, honestly. But uh, yeah, this is bad news, and I hope that uh, it isn't as bad as I fear, but we'll have to see. So KDA Corner then, you've got a few here. Yeah, just a, a bit of an update on the Plasma Mobile uh, for February. Um, uh, the quite interesting thing is the fact that this got picked as the desktop environment for the Pine Phone uh, on top of Manjaro, which is quite cool. And they've put a lot of work into this, and uh, the new home screen looks really good. I like the the new wallpaper, paper, the search built in, and then the add and remove and things. There's a nice wee video there to show you how it runs. And uh, I mean, yes, it looks pretty much like the way an Android system would, but I think that paradigm is pretty fixed in stone these days. They cleared up a load of dialer bugs, things like that as well. There was uh, issues where it would suspend and then kill it. Uh, so obviously not quite ideal for a phone. Um, and Eliza is getting ported to it as well, which is the, the media app available. And there's a whole rake of other things that have been updated too. So uh, really good. Um, and it'd be great to see somebody do a review of that soon. Well, yeah, that Pine phone that I've had sitting around for ages, uh, I tried to get it organized to be sent to you, Phelan, but uh, because it's got a battery in it, and I don't know if Brexit has anything to do with it, but it's not very practical, so it's going to be diverted to you, Graham, so it's going to be on you to organize getting it and checking it out, and hopefully we can talk about it. Yeah, I'll keep it safe for you, Phelan. What's this documentation thing, then? Yeah, uh, just a uh, very quick one is just to see that the the documentation of KDE development side and user side has been updated all the time and, you know, some quite new resources for developers, debus tutorials and uh, the new sensor stuff is in there and uh, they're, they're trying to make it look good and help new developers along. So I think that's always healthy to try and get new developers in, get them interested and to have good resources there to help them along. So that's quite good. And as we speak, the... KD Summer code is going on at the moment. 
or so season of code i think it is maybe uh so you know that's good new new people in board that's what we want uh, offline updates for kde neon i don't like the look of this i had no idea what this meant i had to ask you i was like <laughs> what what is this um so apparently this is the atrocity that is the way windows updates work where it says you've got updates you apply them on the next reboot so the next time you start your computer and you forgot about it it takes three weeks to start up and you'd never get a chance to do your work and then you have to go home <laughs> um i'm sure it won't be quite that bad but i don't know if this needed to be fixed i mean maybe it did maybe i just never noticed it. i've always used apt and it's been fine but if you use discover or pkcon um the command line tool it's now going to have a like an offline trigger mode they call it um and then for updates that used to kind of get into this weird state where libraries would get updated underneath and then things like the lock screen would break things like that those updates will now be done on a fresh restart so you can with pkcon pass some arguments now to make it do it offline as they call it so you can still do that and you can still use um apt-get as i do yeah so it's only changing the default rather than taking that behavior away so it's fine but it's not going to affect me i never use uh no me neither and yeah i mean to be honest it probably is a nicer way of doing it yeah for some people i suppose but yeah uh, i can see the argument for what it's going to fix but as long as they don't take away my apt get then i'm fine cold dead hands indeed all right well we better get out of here then we'll be back next week when we'll be talking about all sorts of things but until then i've been john i've been phantom i've been graham and i've been well See you later.